The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. To all you saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, in Fountain of Life Fellowship, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let's pray and ask God for help. Father in heaven, your word is true and your word is awesome. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. Pray, Lord, that you uh, be with me as I attempt to preach your word. Pray, Lord, that is faithful interpretation of your word and that you are edified and glorified. Father, we thank you for son Jesus. Pray that your spirit be with us today. Pray that the gospel is proclaimed with gladness and received with joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you for coming. Uh, this next two weeks, while Pastor Matt is on vacation, we'll be doing a small sermon series on prayers for the church. And this week, we'll be looking at the prayer in letter to the Colossians. And here we will see that the Apostle Paul is praying for this church in Colossae. But he, just, he just doesn't tell them that he's praying for them. He tells them what he's praying for. So why would he do that? Well, he's encouraging them. And that's what I think God wants to do for us this morning with this prayer. He wants to encourage us. Encourage us how? Well, God has given us the gospel. The gospel is growing in us. And we don't want to shift from the gospel. So God has given us the gospel. The gospel is growing in us. Don't shift from the gospel. I'm going to repeat it one more time. God has given us the gospel. The gospel is growing in us. Don't shift from it. Before we dive into this letter, I'll give a little background on this letter. Colossae was once a celebrated city in what is now modern-day Turkey. But due to competition and a large earthquake, it was, its standing had been severely d- diminished by the time of this letter. 
But the Christian church there was vibrant and growing, and yet some false teaching started to creep into this church. And the false teaching may be the motivation for this letter. It was to warn the Colossians of the false teachings and to remind them of who they are in Christ. We won't go into a deep discussion of the false teachings, but we'll just, just realize that they had three elements. The false teachings question the uniqueness and preeminence of the person of Christ. The false teachings deny the perfection and the, of the redeeming and reconciling work which he accomplished by his death on the cross. And the false teaching attacked the spiritual liberty enjoyed by all who, by faith, were united to Jesus. Now, we'll just kind of put those in our back pocket. Uh, we'll kind of refer to a couple of them later, but we won't dive into them. The letter's format now, it takes on the typical format of letters in, in, uh, in the Greek letters of that day, where it starts off with the author, then it's followed by the recipients of the letter, and then it's followed by the body of the letter. And the author introduces himself in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So what is an apostle? Well, I'm certainly glad you asked. <laughs> he is a messenger, an apostle is a messenger, is one who is sent by someone else, also an ambassador, and officially is a representative of Christ. Didn't do that. You see in verse 1, is by the will of God. So this apostleship begins in the will of God. So he's called by God and not by man. He's not self-appointed. In fact, he was called by Jesus himself. And therefore, he speaks with the authority of God. He's a spokesman for Christ himself. And through Paul, no one less than Christ Jesus himself is addressing the church. So this is a man we need to listen to. The words he wrote in the first century carry the same weight then that they do, or today that they did then. And they're just as authoritative today. They apply to us every bit as they apply to the Colossians. Now, Paul has never met the Colossians. He's never been to Colossae. As far as we know, he's never met them face to face. But nevertheless, he feels a pastoral responsibility for this church. So he needs to establish his authority to teach them and warn them of the false teaching threatening the church. Now, notice the word order in verse 1. It says, Apostle of Christ Jesus. So he mentions Christ or lists Christ first. So Paul is emphasizing the Messiahship of Jesus. As mentioned, one of the threats in, in the, is a group questioning the uniqueness and, and preeminence of the person of Christ. So Paul's not only establishing his authority, but also the kingship of Christ Jesus. Further on, end of verse 1, it says, And Timothy, our brother. So here, Timothy gets a mention. Uh, Paul calls him my true child of the faith. So we do not know whether he contributed the wording of the letter. It is probably more uh, taking dictation. Uh, but he inhabits a special place in Paul's life. And being named uh, is, you know, shows that he's, you know, it's due to Timothy sharing Paul's ministry on a full-time basis. But this prayer was written by the Apostle Paul, who was sent by God and speaks on the authority of God. And that's why this prayer is important. So now we'll take a look at the recipients in verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. 
Now, he calls them saints and faithful brothers. So saints is a word that means holy ones. It means they're set apart to God and the people of God. This is not a spiritual office. A lot of people, you know, come up with saying this, uh, there's some super special spiritual Christian, but that's not what this is. Uh, that, that kind of idea didn't, didn't surface until around the fourth century. No, saints are people like you and us, you and I. We're just people who are in Christ, and we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And as saints, we are linked together to each other by our faith in Christ. Also refers to them as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. The word here says brothers, but it does apply to women as well. That just means that they're both full of faith and are acting in a faithful and trustworthy manner. Further on, he offers them a greeting. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Don't deserve it, can't earn it. It's given lavishly by God and it's decisively expressed in the saving work of Christ. Then there's peace, which is a state of life. Peace with God and peace with one another. These are enjoyed by those who have effectively experienced divine grace. And both grace and peace come from God the Father. Now let's dive into the prayer itself. We're going to take a peek here in the heart of the Apostle Paul. We're going to see a wonderful example of Christian discipleship. Paul starts off by telling the Colossians he is praying for them. Verse 3 again, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And you see here that praise in the present tense is a continuous ongoing action. And even though he's never met them, he's praying for them. So why does the apostle share his prayer for the faithful saints in Colossae with them? Well, we're going to see three things. He wants them to see that God has given them the gospel. He knows the gospel is growing in them and it will continue to grow so that they won't shift from hoping the gospel they have heard. Once again, he wants them to see that God has given them the gospel. He knows the gospel is growing in them and will continue to grow so that they won't shift from hoping in the gospel they have heard. Now, this is also my prayer for Fountain of Life. I want us to see that God has given us the gospel. I know the gospel is growing in us and will continue to grow, so that we won't shift from hoping the gospel we have heard. So Paul wants them to see that God has given them the gospel. Again, verse 3. We always thank God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So why does he thank God? What is he thanking God for? Well, Paul is thanking God for the gospel. He's thanking that God gave them the gospel. But how did the Colossians receive it? You see this in the second half of verse 5 and 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So the gospel has come to them. But how did it come to them? Verse 7, we see, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. See, it was God whom sent Jesus to earth. And Jesus revealed himself to Paul, calling him to be an apostle. 
And Paul taught and discipled Epaphras. And Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ, founded the church in Colossae. And as Epaphras made known to the Colossians the word of truth, but it is God who opens the eyes to believe the gospel. What does gospel mean? Well, gospel means good news. It's the word of truth. It can be trusted, is true, is rock solid, and can be relied upon. The gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, willingly went to the cross to die in our place, taking the punishment from God that we deserve, was buried, and rose again from the dead. Think back to the time when you first believed. Do you remember how the gospel came to you? Do you remember how God opened your eyes? See, Paul thanks God because it was God that gave them the gospel. It was God that gave us the gospel. So what is the evidence that the Colossians have the gospel? See this in verse 4. Since we heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, so they have faith in Christ Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. They believe he died on the cross and rose again. They trust him and have faith in him as their Savior. Furthermore, they have love for all the saints. It's not just, not just for those within their church but they show love for saints in various places. They support Christians outside their own church. They showed hospitality to to the saints that came for a visit. And this reminds me so much of Fountain of Life, the faith that you have in Christ, the love you extend not just to each other, but to to visitors. I still remember the first day I walked through these doors, the, the love that was shown to me and my family, And I've seen that love extended to others throughout the years. Furthermore, there's a willingness and eagerness to support missionaries, both locally and around the world. I love the faith and and I love the the faith and the love that uh, comes from this church. And this is evidence that God has given us the gospel. And where does this faith come from? This faith and love, where does it come from? Second half, or first half of verse 5 says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, this faith and love that we have, it springs forth from the hope we have. This is stored up for us in heaven. The focus of the Colossians was not this worldly. It was otherworldly. Their eyes were on the inheritance stored for safekeeping in heaven. An inheritance as imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's secure. It will be there. It was protected by God himself. And Paul wants them to see that God has given them the gospel. And I want you to see that God has given us the gospel. Paul also knows that the gospel is growing in the Colossians. It will continue to grow. That's right. Paul knows the gospel is growing in the Colossians. It will continue to grow. Now let's see how it will continue to grow. Verse 6, it says, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. So Paul is complimenting them and encouraging them. 
Sometimes it may not feel like the gospel is growing, and perhaps that was the feeling in Colossae. There seems to be an increase in pushing back against the Christian movement, at least today it does. I mean, we hear that church attendance is, is dwindling. We hear other things. And remember, in Colossae, false teaching is starting to creep in. So there's pressure to believe that false teaching. So it would be understandable to think the gospel isn't growing. But I can assure you the gospel is growing. It's growing around the world. We are not alone. Throughout history, kingdoms rise and fall. Powerful nations rise up and disappear. And the one constant is the church of Christ. God will protect and grow his church. The gospel is still spreading to this day. Paul is not only praying for them, but also showing them how to pray for each other with him. And this is a wonderful way for us to pray for each other. Paul prays for them three ways. He prays for them to know God, to bear fruit, and to be strengthened. So how is the gospel growing? Well, we see it in Paul's prayer. Verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul continues to pray that they will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, this is more than just memorizing facts or understanding concepts. This means a deep, intimately acquainted, means being deeply intimately acquainted with someone. And consider a spouse or a very close friend. Is an intimate relationship or intimately acquainted with them if all you know are basic facts? If all you know is the name, the date of birth, where they're born, what they do for a living? No, of course not. Be intimately acquainted with someone is to know their likes, their dislikes, what they think about things. What makes them tick? And God wants his people to know him deeply. Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God wants you to understand his purposes and his ways of doing things. He wants you to know what he likes, what he dislikes, what he thinks about things. And this is all in verse 10, increasing the knowledge of God. That means to continue growing relationship with God, getting better acquainted with him. Verse 9, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and understanding. Later, he warns the Colossians not to be swayed by the world's philosophies. Colossians 2a, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The world's philosophies, they come and go. They're worldly, they'll perish, but the gospel is eternal, and it is in accordance with Christ. So how do you increase in the knowledge of God? Obviously, worship, study of Scripture, Prayer, service comes to mind. How about seeing a beautiful sunset or pondering the vastness of the universe? Bring, bring to mind the creator who made it all possible. How about knowing that he holds all things together? The largest star, the smallest atom. 
It says in Colossians 1.17, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and him all things hold together. See, the possibilities of increasing our knowledge of God are endless. So Paul wants us to know God. Secondly, wants us to bear fruit. Now, the fruit of this spirit-giving wisdom and knowledge is a life fully pleasing to God. Verse 10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So what does it mean to bear fruit? What fruits are we talking about? Well, Galatians 5, and 23 are helpful here. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits bring about a life of worth and a life that brings glory to God. We were created for these good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we heard his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we gain this knowledge, this intimate relationship with him, so we can walk in a manner worthy of him. And while bearing the fruits of the Spirit, we bring lives pleasing to the Lord because we're growing and becoming more intimate with God, becoming more attuned with his will. And Paul prays they'll know God, will bear fruit, and third, that they'll be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy. That's right. He prays that they'll be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So God has given us the gospel. God the Father has given us strength, his strength. Strengthen us with all his power according to his glorious might, giving us endurance and patience. Now what are these? What are endurance and patience? Well, Endurance and patience are are related. Endurance is the fact or or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. And synonyms for endurance would be forbearance and fortitude. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Synonyms for patience also include forbearance and fortitude. So both words have to do with endurance. Endurance, more or less related to things or circumstances, whereas patience likely related more to the endurance of people problems. Now, how has Fountain of Life shown endurance and patience? Well, certainly in this past year and a half, we've suffered through COVID, and we praised and thanked the Lord that we endured it with patience and kindness. I mean, in our congregation, our ideas of COVID span the spectrum. We all have different ideas, and yet, you know, we remained united as a congregation. We bore with one another, and we got through this together. I know many of you, many of you are enduring or have endured various trials, all sorts of trials, and yet we're enduring them with endurance and patience. And Paul not only prays for endurance and patience, but he prays for endurance and patience with joy. Now, this is not a gritting your teeth kind of endurance. 
This is with joy. This is rejoicing in God's steadfast love. This is because you have the gospel and it's growing. It brings you joy. Now, Paul wraps up the prayer giving thanks to God the Father. So we have endurance, we have patience, we have joy, and now we have thankfulness. And all these are marks of a disciple. And all these qualities are the subject of Paul's prayer. Verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has qualified us to enjoy him forever. Now, how can we possibly be qualified? Being sinners and falling way, way short of the glory of God. How can we be qualified? All have sinned and fallen short. We deserve to be punished for our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death is what we deserve for our sins. An eternal punishment in hell for rebelling and offending an eternal God is what we deserve. So the only answer is that God has made us qualified. He's made us worthy. Because we have accepted the gift of grace offered by the cross of Christ We're no longer considered sinners, but heirs. And Paul wants them to see that God has given them the gospel. He wants them to see the gospel is growing in them and will continue to grow. And this is a wonderful picture of Christian discipleship. And why is all this? Why does he want them to see that God's given them the gospel? Why does he want them to see the gospel is in them and continuing to grow? So that they won't shift from hoping in the gospel that they have heard. See, Paul is encouraging the Colossians to be anchored to Christ and the gospel. He's encouraging us. Because of the overwhelming sufficiency of the gospel, don't shift from it. Why would we shift from the gospel? Why would we shift from this hope? Well, because something looks better. And Paul is trying to show that nothing is better. Nothing is better than the gospel. I mean, look at how great this is. I asked before, how can we be justified or qualified? And the Bible says that God made us qualified. See, in verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, notice the contrast between light in verse 12 and darkness in verse 13. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness into the realm of light. Light and darkness are used throughout the Old and New Testaments as metaphors. The metaphors for good and evil, order and chaos, security and danger, joy and sorrow, life and death, salvation and condemnation. Satan is the prince of darkness, and Jesus is what? The light of the world. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. Therefore, those who follow Jesus will have the light of life. So God has delivered us from the darkness. He has rescued us. He has pulled us out of the dark, miry clay 
and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved son. This is a change of citizenship. No longer belonging to the domain of darkness, we now belong to the kingdom of Jesus. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, we went through Revelation. Revelation 21, remember how radiant the church was? Remember in Revelation 22.5, night will be no more. They will no, need no light of lamp or sun. Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We have passed from darkness to light. We have passed from death to life. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So God has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Don't shift from the hope. Verse 14, in whom, talking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this transfer from darkness to light was free to us, but it costs God dearly. See, forgiveness is needed when one person offends another. It's needed to form a harmonious relationship. Has anyone here ever offended someone or been offended? Yeah, forgiveness is what heals. See, Jesus was sent by the Father to earth to live a perfect life. And a perfect life he lived. Always pleasing to God the Father. There's not one moment in his life where he did not love the Father, where he did not worship the Father as he deserves. So he deserves to be loved and worshiped. In contrast to us, there's not one moment in our lives where we ever love God as he deserves, where we ever worship God as he deserves. And Jesus willingly hung on a cross and was left to die, paying the price for our sins, taking the punishment we deserve. God the Father placed all of our sins upon Jesus, our past, present, and future sins onto Jesus so that all of us can be forgiven. Jesus died on the cross and was buried with our sins, and he rose from the dead on the third day, leaving our sins in the tomb. Forgiveness is made possible by Jesus Christ and his redeeming blood on the cross. He redeemed us. Think of owing a debt you cannot pay and someone paying it for you and expecting not to be paid back. Jesus paid that for us, and we can't pay him back. He doesn't want to be paid back. He redeemed us by paying the price for our sins. We have not only been forgiven, we have been released. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. Furthermore, in Ezekiel 36, 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. We have been released from our sins. And this is a legal transaction. God didn't just say it's no big deal. He didn't just say I must sweep it on a rug and, and just forget about it. No, you're forgiven because you're paid because our sins were paid for the blood of Christ, God's only son. It cost God the death of his son. And God's just, justice was satisfied. Our sins paid for. There's no other way to do this. Either we pay 
or someone else does. And furthermore, God has given us the, right, the righteousness of Christ, meaning that he has united us to Christ, his life and his death and resurrection. And now when God looks at us, he sees his son, he sees the righteousness of his son. He looks at us as though we have never sinned, never sinned. Don't shift from the hope. And if you're listening to these words and you're not a believer, what are you waiting for? Please don't stand before God on your own. Don't stand before God and tell him what a wonderful person you are. You won't last. You'll be destroyed. You'll melt faster than a wax figurine in front of a blast furnace. Please, today, if you don't know the Lord, please turn to him. Paul wants them to see that God has given them the gospel. He knows the gospel is growing in them, so they won't shift from the hope of the gospel. Final life, church, be encouraged. God has given us the gospel. Can you see how glorious the gospel is? Can you see how glorious our salvation is? What can possibly compare? You have the best thing possible. And this gospel is growing. I encourage you all to be praying like this. Pray for the gospel to grow. Pray for faith to grow. Pray for growth in the spirit. Pray that we will remain in the gospel. Are you trying to grow the gospel? You know, that's our mission at Fountain of Life. We're grounding the gospel. We gather, gather to grow the gospel, and then we scatter to spread the gospel. Share the gospel. I encourage you to share the gospel. Have you shared the gospel lately? Have you invited people to church? We have the greatest news. Let's share it with others. God has given us the gospel, and the gospel is growing in us. Cling to the gospel. Don't shift from the hope of it is the word of truth, is our only hope. Remember, we were once alienated from God and hostile in mind, and Jesus redeemed us. He reconciled us to God by his death to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. Colossians 1.28 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. When you're tempted to put ultimate hope in something else, remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. And this is Paul's prayer for the Colossians. May this be our prayer for Fountain of Life, and may it be God's desire for us. Put your hope in the gospel. We've been given the gospel. Keep growing in the gospel and never shift from the hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you, first and foremost, for your son, Jesus, who paid the price for our sins, who redeemed us and reconciled us to you. We thank you for your glorious gospel. We pray that it will continue to grow in us. We pray that we will live lives bearing fruit, bringing you glory. We pray that you will keep us when we never shift from the hope of this glorious gospel. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.